For this time I will send all my plagues on you and yourself and on your servants and your people so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. We see that that let my people go chorus happening again, don't we? So that you will know that there is none like me in all the earth. But what if the plagues are not just a display of God's power, but also a display of God's restraint? You see, plagues one through six, they were uncomfortable. All right. They were they were inconvenient. You know, they were they hurt. There was some pain. But there was no death. Nobody died. But God, being so merciful, totally just, could have at the first plague wiped away Pharaoh, wiped away the Egyptians. What if this is also not just an example of his power, his ability to control the Nile, to control frogs, but an ability to show that he has great restraint as well? I um I think of a situation where I, I see myself kicking with my son or I see a dad and his son. All right. And you got a little little elementary age son and they're playing basketball. Dad's teaching them how to play. You know, they're playing a game. The son, you know, has nine points now. Dad has two. And then the son gets a little arrogant, like, yeah, dad, it's on. Watch this. I'm about to whoop you. And dad just says, OK, shoop, 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 shoop. Game, you know? Could, could the dad not have, in the very first moment, showed his power, crushed his son, 10 zip? No. He, he had the power all along. But in that moment, he restrained it for a certain purpose. You see, God is showing us the same here. That man, don't, don't get it twisted, Pharaoh. In, a, in the blink of an eye, I could have struck all of your people and you've been gone but my mercy is also displayed even in my power getting a beautiful example of God's restraint so as we continue to read on verse 17 or excuse me but 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 also I want you to know the extent that God is trying to demonstrate this. He's not simply trying to demonstrate this to Pharaoh. It's not simply being demonstrated just, just to, the, to the people of Israel. Actually, this is an, is, a, is an example that the Lord wants to fill the entire earth. So you'll, th- you'll see it's mentioned three different times. The scope of this lesson, the scope of this mercy, it's not simply to, to just care for a, a small group. It's actually so that the whole world would get I'm in charge of everything, everything. And so now let us turn to verse 17. You're still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. Behold, about this time tomorrow, I will cause very heavy hail to fall, such as never been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Now, therefore, send, get your livestock 
and all that you have in the field into safe shelter. For every man and beast that is in the field is not brought home, will die. And when the hail fall, will die when the hail falls on them. The, uh, the NIV frames it a little bit differently. Uh, and, and most other uh, uh, translations don't just say hail as the ESV does. They actually say a hail storm. So, you, so hail is going to fall, but in a storm you have lightning, you have crazy winds, you have rain. And so this is going to be a, 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 an event that gets the attention of everyone. And it's going to be uh, uh, like catastrophic. But there's a little phrase in there that you'll miss if you just like keep flowing past through the text. And that phrase is from the day it was founded until now. From the day it was founded to now. And we have a similar phrase to that in Detroit. It's called Detroit versus everybody. Detroit versus everybody. Now, this is, this is a term that we use. It's a term of solidarity. You know, it's, a, it's a term of unity. It's a term of like we, we all together. If nobody else rides with us, we all we got. But even in that term, even in that phrase, Detroit versus everybody, while there's unity in the phrase, there's also a hint of arrogance, you know, that, that yeah, we don't have any other allies but ourselves, and we don't need any other allies but ourselves. You know, I'm not, I'm not necessarily dogging the phrase. I'm just pointing out a healthy critique of it. I actually like the phrase but it's not without its, its drawbacks. And so while, while we think Detroit versus everybody can have a hint of arrogance, the Egyptians took it to the next level. They're saying, hey, we were the first people. All of history, if there's a mankind anywhere, it flowed from who we are. You want to start thinking about time? Time started with our people. So now... When, when, when Moses is saying these things, he's basically challenging their arrogance and say, you think you're all that? The God of all things is about to bring something even your people have never seen before. You think you know all things, you don't know about this storm that's coming. And let, let that just be a, a side note to all of us that, that our culture can tempt us and can become a roadblock to the gospel in and of itself. You know, when I, when I elevate how strong I am as a man, or I elevate my black culture, my white culture, my economic status, whatever it is, if, 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 be careful of the potential that that could be an obstacle to you fully experiencing and offering the gospel. But what God is trying to do in this situation, he's trying to say, hey, Pharaoh, you got a list of different gods. You think you're one of them. I'm trying to paint a new equation. It's actually God versus everybody. Now, what are you going to choose? But what's crazy in this entire ordeal is that this God who is all powerful, almighty, actually doesn't just let the hailstorm fall on them. See, that's Leon's approach. You're not, you're not kind to me. You're rejecting me. You're dogging me. Cool. Let the hail hit them. You know? 
That's, that's how I'm, I'm just telling you the wickedness of my heart. But God doesn't do that. He actually gives the man who is, who is his enemy, has his people in bondage, a warning. He gives us a warning. He says in verse 20, uh, Then whoever feared the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand towards heaven so that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt on man and beast and every plant in the field in the land of Egypt. Then Moses stretched out his staff towards heaven and the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire down uh, and fire ran down to the earth and the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. There was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail. Very heavy hail, such as had never been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. The hail struck down everything that was in the field in all the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, was there no hail. Was there no hail? I want to I go back because uh, at this point, uh, we, we might be fooled because we saw in verse 20 this phrase that says, feared the word of the Lord. Feared the word of the Lord. And so we might be at, begin to think that, oh, the Egyptians are coming around and ready to delight in God. But I, but I tried to put up a phrase that shows the difference, Okay. There's feared the word of the Lord. Then there is feared the Lord. Now, the difference is 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 pretty key. All right, because you got to be you got to be pretty much a fool or a dummy. And I don't I don't call people that too often. You got to be a fool or a dummy if you don't believe that the plagues exist. All right. If you're an Egyptian and you don't believe the plagues exist and you've seen frogs all over your bed, flies on your face, you know, and then you're looking at the guy from, you know, the Hebrew right across the street from you, and he's sitting clean, you know? If you don't believe that exists, something wrong. So now you have a people who've gone through this, and they get a warning. And they say, great, okay, you know what? The next one is coming, and it's going to tear up stuff. It's going to wreak havoc on me, on the crops, on the cattle. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go get all my cows. And I'm going to bring him in because he's shown six other times that what he says he's going to do, he'll do. So on the seventh time, I'm going to do it. I'm going to bring my cattle in. Now, while I have my investment under this shelter, I have it protected. What do I do? Do I begin to worship? Do I begin to submit to a holy God? Or do I wait until the storm passes over? You see, this is not a heart change of the people where they now say, yeah, we fear the word of the Lord because he's our savior. No, these are people who simply believe pain is coming and do what they need to to avoid the pain. But they wait patiently until the storm blows over. My friend, if you are a person who says, man, I, I know that there's a God so many ways. Oh, yeah, I know that there's a God, but 
I got burned a long time ago in a church, and if there was a real God, he wouldn't let that happen. You know, I know we have so many different reasons why we would choose not to submit to God. If that's the state that you find yourself in today, I want to say to you, you're just sitting, trying to wait out the storm. And God desires to have your heart. He desires a loving relationship with you to give you purpose. But some of us, some of us choose some other ways because we, we, because we know we love Jesus, sometimes we can dismiss points like this. Like this point is specifically focused on hard-hearted people who don't love God that are waiting for this painful hailstorm to pass, okay? They, they realize that it's going to cause them pain and they seek to avoid it. But we as believers can sometimes begin to find ourselves adapting some of those same mindsets. We're like, man, I love you dearly, Jesus. I believe you are my savior. But I got this area. I got this area that I don't know if I want to let go yet. So I'll take the pain that it may cause others. I'll even take the pain that it may cause myself. And I'll let that storm pass because I don't want to fully give it unto you. I don't want to let you worship. I don't want to worship you in that way. I personally, I personally had experience like that. My, uh, I didn't realize it, uh, and not many of you guys know it, but or maybe most of you do. My name is Leon Ramon Stevenson III. So my father uh, is the second, and we had an extremely uh, rocky time in our life. Uh, it wasn't rocky in the sense that we were very argumentative or anything like that. It was just rocky in the sense that he wasn't there. And so I would see him being present, doing different things, but that didn't, that didn't bear fruit in him being involved in my life. And that void created a pain. That void created an, an anger. And so it got to a point where, uh, where I, I wasn't, I just, I wrestled with, like forever, as far back as I can remember, I wanted every one of my kids to be named Leon. You know, I want to do the George Foreman thing, like little Leon, kind of little Leon, a little bit bigger Leon. You know, like that was that was what I thought. But this 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 like anger inside of me had me to the point where I'm like, I don't want anything to do with his name. None of my kids should have his name. I don't, maybe I should change my own name. And he's off doing life. He doesn't even know, like, what is festering and eating inside of me. And little did I realize, while I loved God and I was going to church and I was praising him, there was this part of me that I didn't want to submit. You know, there was this part of me that just, like, he wasn't doing what he was supposed to do, so it just felt easier to be angry, you know? It just felt easier to, like, have my position and God broke me, and it's still breaking me, but he, he broke me. And I realized, like, man, this was before my father even came to faith. I realized that I was sinning against a holy God who was trying to grab my heart, wanting to relieve me of it, and I just didn't want to let it go. And whatever pain that it was causing me or my relationships, I was cool with. Family, don't, 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 don't miss this bigger picture. 
God doesn't simply just want us to acknowledge that, that he does stuff. Doesn't simply want us, want like the Egyptians here to acknowledge that he could bring pain and them ignore it. He wanted them to turn their hearts and worship him. Let that worship extend to every area of our life if you're a believer. If you're not a believer, don't be fooled. Trying to avoid pain is a, is a horrible way to live the rest of your life. And so, I want to give us a sense of some of the, <laughs> some of some of what um, some of what it looks like to be in a hailstorm. Got some pretty pictures for us here. Yeah. So even today, like I think it was 2008. There were like there was a hailstorm in a place that killed 350, 400 people. I mean. Can you imagine an eight ball? You drop an eight ball on my head from that balcony, I'm mad. Drop it from the top of a building, I might kill you. I mean, like, this, this is, these are the types of things that could, I mean, just as the text says, kill you. Kill you. And so it's, it's a glimpse into what people were trying to avoid. And a glimpse into the power of God. So then we, we have more verses that give us insight into the heart of Pharaoh. Verse 27 says this. Then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, this time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right. And I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go. And you shall stay no longer. Moses said to him, as soon as I have gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease and there will be no more hail so that you may know that the Lord. So you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not fear the Lord God. Fear the Lord God. I got I'm, I'm come right back to this, but the Lord's put on my heart to make sure I say that now the relationship between my father and I is absolutely amazing. It's tighter than it's ever been. And he is one of our biggest champions. So sorry, I didn't I didn't put that in there before, but <laughs> sometime. <laughs> but it doesn't always work out like that. It doesn't always work out like that. And the Lord was working on me way before my dad got saved. So, OK, sorry. Back to the point. So we see in verse 27, this time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right, okay? So it may make you think like I thought the very first time I read this, like finally, Pharaoh's breaking. Look, he said the one term that every reformed person wants to hear, sin, you know, like like, here we go. (laughs) Finally, here goes Pharaoh. But, But the context of the word matters. Okay, because your context means that you you have with almost all of our words in the English language. A word can have multiple meanings. Okay, and the context determines which meaning. And so let's look at a couple of verses that will help us to understand the context. All right. First Samuel 19 4 says this. And this is when Jonathan 
uh, um, Saul's son. He's talking with David, the king, and, and the king desires to hurt. He desires to kill David because uh, David's going to be a successor. And Jonathan says this in verse 4. And Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his deeds have brought good to you. Well, see, sinning here is against someone. It's, it's referred to an, an unkind action or abusing the person, okay? But let's go to the, probably the most famous example of this, which takes place in Matthew 27, and it's that with Judas Iscariot. The most famous use of the term sin in this context of abusing or wronging someone, not necessarily a repentant heart submitting to God. Matthew 27, 3 through 4, it says this. Then when Judas, his betrayer, and Judas, for those that don't know, was one, he was a man that was among Jesus Christ's intimate circle. And yet he betrayed Jesus, Jesus and, was, and ultimately was a guide to help lead Jesus to the cross, to his death. Then when Jesus, his betrayer, saw, excuse me, when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, He changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have what? Sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, what is that to us? See to it yourself. You see, to acknowledge you have sinned can still mean that you acknowledge that you've caused pain. But it doesn't have to mean that you now are repenting and submitting to a holy God. This, this brother, uh, this brother named Lee, who's a pastor in Lincoln, he has this uh, blog that I was connected with. And, and uh, he showed kind of like some different ways that we see apologies take place in society, all right? Some different ways that, that we take, instead of repenting, we try to apologize and, and, and dull what God truly intends for us to do. And so here's a few different types of apologies, we have a sports apology that takes place. There was a guy named Mark McGuire. He was a pretty successful uh, baseball guy. And then uh, he got caught using an illegal substance. And he said this. He said, I wish I had never touched steroids. It was foolish and it was a mistake. I truly apologize. Looking back, I wish I had never played during the steroid era. You see, the apology... It's for being in the wrong era. It's not, not, not fully what I used. If I would have played in a different time, trust me, we wouldn't even be here. Is that real repentance? No. We had a homie named Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods, y'all. And then he says, for all of those who have supported me over the years, I offer my profound apology. Okay. So what about those who didn't support you? Is it okay to lie to my critics? Is it, do I just, or is my apology just to a narrow scope of people? Do you see the way that like sin can begin to have us distort truly what repentance is? Continue on, please. There's the diminished apology. Okay, I did something wrong. Well, 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 maybe it would have been better to do what you're suggesting. I'll probably just try that next time. 
Not, not a real repentance. And then there's, that, then there's that, that political apology of, I'm sorry that my words caused you harm. And, and spouses know that a lot. Because spouses are getting that argument, and y'all going at it. And then you know you can't just be a jerk and not apologize at all. So you're like, I'm sorry that what I said made you feel that way. A.K.A. I meant what I said, but I'm sorry you hurting about it. (laughs) You see, family, we can begin to lie and believe that we're actually repenting when what we're doing is trying to color apologies in a way where we can still win. But what does true repentance look like? True repentance is, is, has three components within it. And it doesn't always happen in this order, but it has three components within it. Component number one is an acknowledgement of a holy God. Because if we're talking about sin, then you got to know what holiness is. Okay? Sin is missing the mark. Then what's the mark? The mark is a holy God. So we have to understand what, what is the, what, who is this holy God? Then in understanding who he is, we understand how we've missed the mark. Okay? So we acknowledge a holy God. Then we acknowledge our sin. We acknowledge how we are not reflecting that of who you are. And in understanding that, we turn from that behavior, from that emotional experience. We turn from that mindset. We turn and try to choose God's way. That is what repentance looks like. And so we see an image of that all throughout Scripture, but specifically in Psalm 51. And I can't, I can't, I don't have the time to read the whole thing, but I encourage you this week, read the whole thing. But, but starting in, in verse 3, and, and, and as David writes this, we're talking about a man who's done maybe two of the most heinous sins that any of us in here like could imagine. I mean, he's had a man killed, so you would call him a murderer, and he also slept with somebody that wasn't his wife. Adultery. So how does he write these words in Psalm 51? Verse 3, he says, For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and only you have I sinned. How does a guy who, who's experienced sin with other people say no? Against you I've sinned, God, because he recognizes that my mark ain't nobody in here. The first person that I've sinned against is a holy God. That's the mark that I've missed first and foremost. We'll see all throughout even the Psalms, like him, him, his heart to connect with other people. But first and foremost, we sin against a holy God. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Because then an, an acknowledgement now, because I recognize that I have sinned, I need help. Jump down to verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. 
You know what this is saying? God, I recognize that I'm not in this area. I've sinned against you. I need you to do something in me. I need you to do something in me. I need you to do something in me. And it's, and it's this posture of I'm going to keep saying it until you do something because you got to do something in me. Let's continue on. He, he even unpacks it more in verse 16. Why? Because you will not delight in my sacrifice. You got to do something in me. I can't just go out and earn your favor by doing some good works. It, or, or I would give it to you, but you will not be pleased with it. See, what God constantly wants is a broken, contrite heart. And I can stand with you and say, I've been in places where I want, haven't wanted to give him that. But I knew I needed to. So I kept asking, I don't feel like it, Lord. I don't want to, Lord, but will you help change my heart, Lord? I can't stand him right now, Lord. Look at the pain that he's caused in my life. Look at my history. Look at all the things that could have been. But I know I should love him. Look at what, look at all the drama, all the destruction. But you said that you've forgiven me of much. So help me to forgive as you've forgiven me, even when I don't feel like it. Family, this is real. I know that you guys are, some of us in here are are in this state. But it's a continual prayer of, Lord, I need you to grab my heart. Because my sacrifices, it's just not what's pleasing to you ultimately. Ultimately, Verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Family, we want this. And if you if you leave this room, I leave understanding the beauty of repentance. And I I'll just say this. You know when a person begins to experience repentance because you don't necessarily need people to prompt you that you need to get right with God. You see, in, my, in, in, in our earlier stages of, of walking with the Lord, like there's, all, there's like this list of like, okay, yeah, I used to cuss, and then I used to do this, I used to do it. So you get your like top five, you know what I'm saying? Everybody got their top five rap songs, top five movies, top, you know? You get your top five sins, and you're like, okay, these are clear. Everybody know these about me. I, okay, God, I get that. So that's level one. But then when, when the Lord grabs your heart, you start to realize there's a level two and a level three and a level and you and it, and it doesn't stop. Not that it becomes a, a, a burden that's insurmountable, but actually you look back and say, wow, I'm not a level one anymore. Look at what God did. Now I'm on level two. OK, now look at me. I'm not a level two. I'm on level three. And he keeps bringing to your attention Ways that he wants to care for your heart, wants to grow you, wants to allow you to experience this loving relationship. But man, there's still some areas that that I got to grow you in, Lee. Still some areas that I want to see whole. And so I I, I also want to encourage you. That's one of the that's one of the healthy components of being in discipleship, too. Because sometimes you, you deceive yourself. And, and, and I'll be honest, I'm thankful for men in my life. 
Because I'll, I'll be talking and I'll be sharing an experience that I had with Rebecca. And they're like, huh, tell me more about that. Okay, tell me more. Did you just say you said what to her? Yeah, I said that, man. And then da, da, da. wait, 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 let's go back. Did you just say what to her? <laughs> and now, now it's, it, it, it's a blessing to have community because then you begin to get exposed sometimes. And you see beliefs that you've created in your own mind that you're like, it's not as godly as I thought it was. So then we go to verse 30. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord. Moses says, you do not yet fear the Lord. We get, we get a great opportunity for Pharaoh to say, but wait, Moses, no, nah, you're getting it wrong, man. I am repentant. I do serve Yahweh. I'm, I'm, I'm on the team now. We get a silence. It's not the case. Because Moses is right. And so verse 31, the flax and the barley were struck down. For the barley was in the ear and the flax was in the bud, but the wheat and the ember were not struck down, for they are late in coming up. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and stretched out his hands to the Lord, and the thunder and the hail ceased, and the rain no longer poured upon the earth. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of the Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people of Israel go, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. We get, we get two clear images here, okay? First image is that of Moses, verse 33. Moses says, okay, I'll do that for you, Pharaoh, once I walk out the city. Now, what's happening in the city right now? Hailstorm. Cattle's being killed. People are being killed. And Moses says, you know, he just just walks out in the midst of it. Why? To show God's protection. The storm doesn't stop because of Moses. Moses actually walks out and says, just, just so you can be reminded of how beautiful merciful but also powerful this God is the very storm that's killing off your people I'm going to walk out in and not pray for you until I get out of the city to stop the storm but then lastly and unfortunately we see that 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 marriage of a hardened heart taking place again in Pharaoh you see in verse 34 it says that yet again he hardened his heart. You know, he, he, he held out, waited till the storm blew over, and now finds himself right back in that same position. Yeah, he escaped the pain, but for how long? Still not submitting to a beautiful, holy, loving God. And I pray that none of us would find ourselves in that same position. Choose today to submit to a God who wants a loving, passionate relationship with you. And if you have, give him your all. That's what he wants. It's God versus everything. 
I want to leave you with these, this last uh, example because I, I, as I was studying the scriptures, I just felt like the Lord was really wanted us to get that sense of repentance and, and truly what it is and what it is not. Because some of those examples that we listed, that sports apology, political, some of us are like, mm, I said that last week. <laughs> and I get it. But now let us, now let our hearts change. I want to leave you with this, with this illustration that uh, Paul Lee puts in a book that he has, uh, a book of, uh, of illustrations. It says, at 19, Al Johnson joined two other men in robbing a Kansas bank. The case was closed by police after two other convicts were killed in an auto crash and mistakenly identified by bank officials as the robbers. Al felt sure that he would never be caught again. He married a Christian girl and pretended to be a Christian before her. She knew nothing of his past crime. Then someone sent him a track in the mail titled God's Plan of Salvation. Reading it, he noticed that one of the Bible verses says, Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The realization struck that salvation was indeed for him. He could be forgiven and his conscience set free. He knelt in prayer and he accepted Christ. His life changed. He stopped a lifelong habit of lying, and after much thought and prayer, he confessed his crime. His confession made television newscasts and newspaper headlines all over Canada. Under a Kansas statute of limitations, though, he was set free, although he chose to repay his share of the stolen funds to the bank. Today, Al Johnson is the manager of a service station, the father of three uh, admiring children and an outstanding Christian layman. Why do I lift up that example? I lift it up, family, because God desires a heart of repentance from us. And what Satan wants to do is tempt us to think about all of the effects that are going to take place if we choose to live this repentant lifestyle, okay? But you don't know my past. But you don't know all the new drama that's going to happen if I live a repentant lifestyle in the way that God truly wants me to now live. I got to be a different son. I got to be a different father. I got to be a different mother if I live the way this God wants me to live. And I'm trying to tell you it's worth it. It's worth it. So as the worship team comes forward, Will you pray with me? God, you are our great reward and treasure. And what you offer us is new life. And God, in you, we are redeemed. We are your sent people. But Lord, we have an opportunity to repent of past sin. Lord, the biggest opportunity is to enter into a a relationship with who you are today. So for the person that's present that does not know you, Lord, would you do a work in their heart that they may say, I'm going to submit to a holy God.
that I've been running for too long and that I want, Lord, I don't know what the future looks like, but I want it to be with you leading me. But then for those of us that have come to know you, Christ, would you, Lord, would you allow us to have a posture of repentance where nobody else in the room matters and we look at ourselves not with, a, a, not with shame and guilt, but knowing, Lord, that, that we at times don't measure up to who you desire for us to be and we want to repent of that. Because in doing so, Lord, you set us free. So God, would you lead us to choose you over ourselves? It's in your holy name we pray. Amen.